Hey everyone, and welcome to Sincerely Letty. I'm your host, Letty Shoemate, here to bring you truth and knowledge about history, social issues, life, and more to help you connect the dots and see the bigger picture that's so necessary in our society today. In this week's episode, I'll be discussing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, the last almost five years of Dr. King's life, and the importance of not romanticizing who he was, and also the urgency of now. I want to begin by reminding everyone that you can follow me on social media. On Instagram, you can follow me at sincerely.letty. Um, my blog is sincerelyletty.com. I have a Facebook page. You could email me if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything at all, at sincerelyletty at gmail.com. I really do appreciate the shares I've gotten about my podcast and um, how you're just spreading news about it via word of mouth. So really appreciate that because it does help my podcast get more viewers, or not viewers, sorry, more listeners. And we all know how tough it can be to get people to see what you're doing and as big as social media world is it's so difficult so i really do appreciate those of you who have done that moving on to the week in review i actually have a couple of personal things to share with you all this week so first thing i order a lot of history books i mean serious history books in the last month i've probably ordered eight, maybe nine. Um, my Amazon Prime cart is just constantly full though of things to save for later, books to save for later. And you know, but then let me just say too that I don't always want to order from Amazon because, you know, Jeff Bezos just doesn't pay taxes and people that work there don't get paid fairly. But then, you know, that two-day free shipping, well, really, the one-day free shipping now, um, that comes in, y'all. That that really comes through. Judge me if you want to, okay? But anyway, I'm very excited about the books that I've ordered. Just wanted to share that with you all. don't know if you all have book stacks that are embarrassingly long, but I'm right there with you. Next thing I was going to say is last week I started my second year of my second master's degree. Um, This one is in conflict management and resolution and I'm ready to be finished. I am very happy that I decided to go back to graduate school to get another master's degree. My first one was in history, but this one is teaching me a lot about communication, nonviolent communication, mediation, those things which are very necessary. Also, my amount of student loan debt is done with school after this degree because, you know, it just keeps looking at me like, what are you doing? Are you really going to continue adding to this amount? And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, because I'm not, never going to be able to pay it all back. So until then, I will keep living in my purpose and doing what I need to do to fulfill my dreams because honestly, can't always look at the amount of student debt you're in because you know what? We're all in the same boat, okay? 
One other thing I wanted to mention with you all is this week is actually Black Breastfeeding Week. Yes, um, this is actually extremely important because it encourages black women to breastfeed. And for years, studies have shown that black women are actually less likely to initiate breastfeeding than other races. It also is important because black women experience a higher rate of um, infant mortality and breastfeeding actually helps lower these rates. So this week is really about celebrating the act of breastfeeding and to let other black women know that they are not alone. Once again, representation matters. So now, moving on to the meat of the episode today. So August 28th, 1963 is the day that, number one, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom happened in Washington, D.C., and number two, it is also the day that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. But, you know, something that I say often to people and I talk about a lot is the fact that Dr. King was frozen in history. Okay, he was frozen after 1963. And I'm like, well, he was here until 1968. So those last almost five years of him being here were crucial to his legacy. And it's important to recognize the entirety of who he was and not just the pretty cherry-picked white people love him version of Dr. King. Because in all reality, he actually did not have a high approval rating in the country. And actually a lot of people started to recognize him more after he was assassinated. Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech is played constantly in schools and you know people are very familiar with the last fifth of the speech but I want to actually read today a couple excerpts from it from the middle of it you know the parts that aren't really talked about as much because Dr. King always talked about this urgency of now and whenever I say now for in his context I mean now in the 60s. Well, the same urgency is still in our country today, and it's necessary to recognize that part of Dr. King's legacy as well and the truth through his words. So I figured it's probably best to just start um, by talking a little bit about the March on Washington. So more than 200,000 demonstrators took part in the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in the nation's capital. The march was actually successful in pressuring the administration of then-President John F. Kennedy to initiate a strong federal civil rights bill in Congress. During this event, Dr. King delivered his memorable I Have a Dream speech. The 1963 March on Washington had several precedents, though. So, in the summer of 1941, A. Philip Philip Randolph, who was the founder of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, called for a march on Washington, D.C. to basically draw attention to the exclusion of African Americans from positions in the national defense industry. This job market really had proven to be closed to black people. 
despite the fact that it was growing to supply materials to allies in World War II. Um, the threat of 100,000 marchers in D.C. really, at that time, pushed President Franklin D. Roosevelt to issue Executive Order 8802, which mandated the formation of the Fair Employment Practices Commission to investigate racial discrimination charges against defense firms. And so, in response to this, A. Philip Randolph canceled all the plans for that particular march. Well, it's not like the March on Washington just happened right after that, obviously. So, there were some other events that happened. Um, civil rights demonstrators did assemble at the Lincoln M Memorial in May 1957 for what was called a prayer pilgrimage for freedom on the third anniversary of Brown v. Board of Education. And in October 1958, for a youth march for integrated schools to protest the lack of progress since the ruling of Brown versus Board of Education. Because Brown v. Board of Education did not just bring with it this renowned welcoming of equality in schools. And I don't know why people think that. People look at Brown v. Board and they're like, oh, Brown v. Board was monumental and it did so good for our country. No. I mean, it was monumental, yes. But people were not happy about it. Most of the country was not happy about it. Um, let me just put, make that clear. White people were not happy about this. Dr. King did attend and address the 1957 Prayer Pilgrimage for Freedom demonstration, but he was not able to address the 1958 Youth March for Integrated Schools. Coretta Scott King, his wife, had to deliver his remarks for him because he was stabbed by a black woman named Isola Curry. She was a mentally ill black woman, um, and she stabbed him. I'm not sure if um, many people know that, but that definitely happened. So by 1963, which was the centennial of the Emancipation Proclamation, a lot of the goals of these earlier protests still had not been met and they were not getting the reaction from the government that they wanted and that they needed to reach racial equality in America. There were high levels of black unemployment, work that offered most black people only minimal wages and poor job mobility, systematic disenfranchisement of many African-Americans, and the persistence of racial segregation in the South prompted all these talks about large-scale march that's needed because political and, you know, social and economic justice were all on the line. This is all as early as, like, 1962 as well. So, on behalf of the Negro American Labor Council and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the Congress of Racial Equality, also known as CORE, and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Usually you will hear this um, referred to as SNCC. A. Philip Randolph wrote a letter on May 24th, 1962 to Secretary Stuart Udall of the Department of the Interior. And it was basically a letter regarding permits for a march that was going to um, culminate at the Lincoln Memorial. 
that fall. Plans for the march were stalled whenever Unal encouraged different groups to consider, or the actual group, to consider um, a different place to do it. So he was like, why don't you do it at the Washington Monument instead of of the Lincoln Memorial? So of course, there were difficulties in trying to schedule something because why wouldn't there be if black people are trying to schedule a march for equality and freedom? Yes, let's make it a lot more difficult for us to do that. So now let's jump to March 1963. A. Philip Randolph sent a telegraph to Dr. King and said that the Negro American Labor Council had started planning this March for June of 1963 for Negro job rights. And Randolph asked Dr. King for a response immediately so they would know their plan of action and what to do from there. Well, in May 1963, Dr. King joined A. Philip Randolph and also James Farmer of CORE and basically said that The black laboring masses needed to speak and needed to be heard and seen. So they notified President JFK of what they were planning on doing. The leaders of the major civil rights organizations then set the March date for August 28th, 1963. So that's a little like foreshadowing like what happened prior to leading up to the march on Washington. They actually had goals listed out of the protest and of the march, and these goals included a comprehensive civil rights bill that would do away with segregated public accommodations, protection of the right to vote, mechanisms for seeking redress of violations of constitutional rights, desegregation of all public schools in 1963, a massive federal works program to train and place unemployed workers, and a Federal Fair Employment Practices Act, barring discrimination in all employment. I actually, I'm just going to put a side note in here, I actually um, did research at the National Archives when I was getting my Master's in History, and I remember having to request the different boxes because wherever you go to um, the National Archives, you have to, like you want to do research, you request boxes um, to look through and then each box has folders. There are millions of them. I mean, so many. And I remember finding a collection and requesting a box and in it was a folder. (laughs) Um, And I found John Lewis's actual civil rights march for um jobs and freedom stapled packet with his name on it written in pen it was really cool y'all i mean it was phenomenal anyway i'm getting off on a tangent so the summer of 1963 continues to go by planning for the march continues to happen People are letting everyone know they're putting up flyers or handing out pamphlets, you know, different organizations are meeting. And actually the list of organizations that were participating in and sponsoring the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom expanded. And so 
like the National Association for the Advancement of Color People added their name to the list, the National Urban League, the National Catholic Conference for, you know, um, interracial justice, the National Council of the Churches of Christ in America, the United Auto Workers, and so many more were now going to be part of this March on Washington. So also important to note here is that the march was not universally embraced. Not everyone was excited about it. This is important to recognize in history because I believe that far too often history books will show this era and this event in history as, oh, see, everyone was there. It was on the radio. It was on television. People were excited about it. No, that's actually not how it was. Was it monumental? Absolutely it was. But it wasn't like everyone was happy about it. So it was actually condemned by the Nation of Islam and Malcolm X. Um, He actually referred to the march as the farce on Washington. Although he did attend. I mean... He still went. Uh, the executive board of the American Federation of Labor Congress of Industrial Organizations declined to support the march, adopting a position of neutrality, which was a very big deal, and many others. But they also still had tons and tons of support. So the diversity of people who were in attendance of this march reflected in the different speakers and also the performers. So quite a few big name people of the time were there. Bob Dylan was there, Marian Anderson, Ozzy Davis, Ruby D, you know, a lot of other big name people. And these, a lot of these people were ones who were doing the work and they were speaking out against injustice and they were advocating for civil rights and they were actually part of Um, activism and different strategies so it's not like you know all these people just came out of nowhere that's that's not what happened so of course then moving on to the highlight of the day was whenever Dr. King took the podium and um, he addressed the humongous crowd of people at the Lincoln Memorial and moved them in a way to which I have a dream has become an iconic speech in the history of our country and one of the most loved today by people. And actually, Dr. King commented that as television beamed the image of this extraordinary gathering across the border oceans, everyone who believed in man's capacity to better himself had a moment of inspiration and confidence in the future of the human race. And he categorized, I'm sorry, characterized the march as an appropriate climax to the summer's events. And then what happened after the march? Well, Dr. King and other civil rights leaders met with President John F. Kennedy and at the time Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson at the White House where they basically discussed the need for a bipartisan support of civil rights legislation. Not even... Well, I guess it was a little over three months later, um, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated and 
the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were actually passed after his death. I'm now going to transition and read a little bit of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. Often people hear and identify his speech with Let Freedom Ring from and all of the places that he mentioned letting freedom ring from and all of the ways that we should let it ring. And I believe it's important to also look at other parts of speeches. You know, the parts that are conveniently overlooked that actually speak the highest volumes. Of course, the first line of the speech is just iconic, and I will read that. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. That is very profound, and it really did go down as that. I mean, he was right about it. <laughs> so anyway, I want to read a little bit of it. So he says, in a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a, pro a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so... We've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. I'm going to skip down to another part, but he says... I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. The fierce urgency of now is something that we in this country are seeing right now in 2019. And he mentioned it in speech in 1963. I mean, so, you know, when people talk about progress, I'm like, yeah, but you really are going to sit there and like quote Dr. King, but then not try to do what he wanted us to do and what he called for. That's all I'm going to read of his speech because you can Google the rest of it and listen to it on YouTube or however you'd like to do that. But now I want to talk about the years leading up to Dr. King's assassination because 
these years are romanticized way too much. Dr. King was less popular than ever leading up to his assassination. In a 1966 Gallup poll, um, two-thirds of Americans had an unfavorable opinion of Dr. King, and a third had a positive opinion. A 26-point unfavorable rate increase from 1963. Dr. King won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964, but his popularity began to wane after that. Um, Dr. King actually basically began to lose his momentum as he moved his attention from civil rights in the South to civil rights in the North, to Chicago to tackle segregation and poverty among black Americans. This is important to know because another thing about this is people want to act like racism was not an issue in the North and civil rights struggles were not an issue in the North. They absolutely were an issue. At this point in history, um, the civil rights movement had not really been felt in the ghettos of northern cities. So black people had actually flocked to cities like Chicago because they hoped to escape southern seg- like segregation in the south. Only to find, though, whenever they got there, that Jim Crow followed them from the south and had already unpacked and was living in the north. This is true, y'all. I mean, there was no Mississippi Delta in the North, but there were inner city neighborhoods and like neighborhoods that were all white in the North and there was prevalent racism and Jim Crow and inequality and yeah, it all existed. Um, Inner city neighborhoods in the North, they also were plagued with like rundown housing and overcrowded schools as well. And so to publicize the plight of black people in the North, in these inner cities, Dr. King moved into um, an apartment, actually, in um, or on Chicago's west side. It was a third floor apartment. It was cruddy. It was shabby. It was not well kept up at all. And he moved there in January of 1966. He actually said... We don't have wall-to-wall carpeting to worry about, but we do have wall-to-wall rats and roaches. So the North Lawndale neighborhood where King um, basically maintained this symbolic presence for much of 1966 had once been home to Jews. Jews, Czechs, and also Poles. But when black people joined them, the Older people who lived there left. Yeah, so black people came in. People who were able to assimilate into white culture left. Much the same occurred across the entire city of Chicago because the line separating black and white Chicago was not erased. It just moved a few blocks at a time. And of course, this was frustrating because, you know, black people are thinking, I left the South because of segregation. This should not be happening in the North. This is not what we thought was happening up here. No one told us this. I might as well have just been 
been in Alabama. I might as well have just stayed in Georgia. I might as well have just stayed in North Carolina. I might as well have just stayed in South Carolina. Like, what they were hoping for in the North is not what they were met with. Dr. King and um, other organizers continuously tried to do protests and smaller marches. And so they actually did them into all white neighborhoods. And whenever they did these, though, this is what contributed to his lower rating. Because if you think about it, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, you're all right if you stay in your place down there. And this is evident in who Dr. King or what Dr. King was facing. Matter of fact, uh, during a march in Parquet Park, which was um, in Chicago, this march happened on August 5th, 1966, Dr. King was met by white counter-protesters who threw rocks, firecrackers, and bottles at him and other protesters. Um, one protester actually held up a sign that said, King would look good with a knife in his back. Dr. King was actually hit with a rock um, on his head while he was marching in Marquette Park. And it knocked him to like, the ground, you know. And he actually said, I've seen many demonstrations in the South, but I've never seen anything so hostile and so hateful as I've seen here today. And I mean... This has me recognized, and I feel like, you know, whenever you read history books and you're having discussions about racism and, se and segregation, much of the context and much of the story is only revolving around the South. This, however, paints a negative and, not negative, I'm sorry, this paints an inaccurate picture of American history because it actually tries to say, oh, look, we're up here in, like, the north, and we were fine, and it was just south that was bad. Actually, no, y'all up north were bad, too. And it just continued to keep showing, because Dr. King actually took a stand against the Vietnam War in 1967, which was another very unpopular move. I mean, super unpopular. Because in 1967, let me just paint a picture for you. In 1967, you know who else was also... Speaking out against the Vietnam War, the Black Power Movement. The Black Power Movement was a contrast to the Civil Rights Movement because the Black Power Movement also had with it another component, which was the Black Panther Party. And one of the points of the Black Panther Party's 10-point program was they did not want to be drafted for war because it basically was killing black men on purpose. So Dr. King started to take or started to be um, recognized and categorized with a more militant view um, and a more militant mindset. What image did white people have whenever they thought of militancy with black people? Black people with guns and black people who were violent. Yes, this is the setting and this is the atmosphere that was breeding in America at the time. Um, in one instance, whenever Dr. King spoke out against the Vietnam War, he spoke to about 3,000 people and he said that the United States had no honorable intentions in Vietnam and that the government had been wrong about going to war from the beginning. He argued that the United States was testing weapons on the Vietnamese people, similar to how the Germans performed tests on Holocaust victims. 
this hurt him politically and it hurt his standing also in the black community. There were actually black leaders who started to criticize him, right? Isn't that, you would think that wouldn't happen, right? You would think that what you've learned has always been what's true, but no. Because another thing that came with the Vietnam War was um, what we still hear and see today, which is patriotism, okay? And so, no, not everyone who is black opposed the Vietnam War. Absolutely not. And also, not everyone who is black approved of the black power movement, black power movement, excuse me. And so, like many white people, some black people started to categorize him with more militant groups. Was Dr. King part of these militant groups? No. Let me clarify that. No, he was not. But the, the similarity and the change in his rhetoric was there. So Dr. King's final unpopular move before he was assassinated um, was the Poor People's Campaign of 1968. Part of the Poor People's Campaign was an effort to call on poor people of all races from around the country to come to um, Washington, D.C. and create this encampment on the National Mall and to use the quote-unquote resurrection city as the hub of operations for a mass campaign of civil disobedience that would basically shut down the entire city and cripple operations of an oppressive society. Um, Dr. King was assassinated on April the 4th, 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. And despite some of his unpopular moves, he still remains a popular civil rights figure. I admire Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Absolutely I do. He is always going to be known as one of the most courageous black men and black leaders in the history of this country. Absolutely he will. I just really get frustrated whenever there are white people who are like, oh, Dr. King was so great. He had this wonderful dream and he did so much for our country. And I'm just looking at them like, that's not at all how you would have been at the time. It's just easy now to romanticize Dr. King and to have this vision of him as this black man who was nonviolent and did things the right way and white people loved him. Mm-mm, nope. Let me just go back to the, the poor people's campaign for just a second. Had Dr. King not been shot and killed on April 4th, 1968, and had the poor people's campaign gone off the way that he envisioned it would it would have created serious disruptions and inconvenienced a whole lot of people. And, you know, we see this today with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement continues to put pressure on an oppressive society. Because it is imperative for a country that so often wants to use Dr. King as this moral compass to remember that Dr. King was not afraid of confrontation and that nonviolence is not afraid of tension and nonviolence is not afraid of disruption. 
Dr. King once wrote that nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and establish such creative tension that a community that has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. It seeks so to dramatize the issue that it can no longer be ignored. So I'm going to go off on a rant a little bit, y'all, but... As you're sitting there this week and sharing I Have a Dream excerpts and what I Have a Dream meant to you and how I Have a Dream was so important to civil rights legislation in this country, please do also remember that like you can't just say or you shouldn't just say, oh, well, this is what Dr. King did and people need to model themselves after him. Okay, well, for those of you who want to say that these actions that you see um, movements like Black Lives Matter taking are causing tension, Dr. King did write that we who engage in nonviolent direct action are not the creators of tension. We merely bring to the surface the hidden tension that is already alive. We bring it out in the open where it can be seen and dealt with, like a boil that can never be cured so long as it is covered up but must be open with all its ugliness to the natural medicines of air and light. Injustice must be exposed with all the tension its exposure creates to the light of human conscience and the air of national opinion before it can be cured. Dr. King also said, shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. And he was spot on with that because it goes back to what I often tell people and what I've often already talked about on previous episodes is it's not enough to like just do the bare minimum. And it's not enough to partially understand the importance of doing the work and the importance of morality and the importance of speaking up and speaking out against racial injustice. Like, no, it's just not enough to do the bare minimum. And quite frankly, I'm tired of people doing the bare minimum, but then they're sitting out here and they're quoting Dr. King or they're criticizing the movements that are happening, but they're sitting out here and they're quoting Dr. King and holding him up on this pedestal. Okay, that's fine if you want to hold him up, but recognize who he really was as a person and stop romanticizing who he was to fit your white supremacy narrative because this mess is just getting real old. And then, you know, you have people who say, oh, well, young people just need to be more patient. Oh, well, you can catch more flies with honey. Okay, honestly, Dr. King reminded us all, okay, that, and I quote, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have yet engaged in a direct action movement that was well-timed in the view of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. 
There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged in, into the abyss of despair. Y'all heard that? Dr. King said that. Yep, your same Dr. King that said, let freedom ring. And I'm glad that he said it. I really am. I mean, here we are in 2019. We have iPhones. We have Androids. We have everything to view what is going on in this country. And the, the line where Dr. King said, when you have seen hateful policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, we see that actually physically see that now on the computer on our phone people didn't have like phones and things like they didn't have these things to film lynchings okay they didn't even no they didn't have this and we have this today and so you know it frustrates me whenever people are like well i think that we just need to be patient give it time okay well we've given it time and I do, and let me just say this, okay, because this is something I've run into a lot. I do understand, okay, the need to, as my identity, to view things um, through a Christian lens. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I do believe in giving grace. And I do believe in um, not just going about things in a hateful way. No. No, I, I don't. But if my patience is at the expense, like if I have to be patient, but you can sit there and you can still be willfully ignorant and you can still choose when you want to care about a social issue. No, that's what, like, what are we really doing at that point? There are people who have come to me and they've actually shown, you know, I want to know more about this. I'm just not sure how to think. I'm not sure as a white woman what I can do to actually do the work. Like, What does that look like for me? Am I willing to help? Oh, absolutely I will. I will sit down and I will talk to you because I know it is in my heart to do that. It is, I, I want to do that. I don't believe that I've been given this passion and given these gifts for me to just not educate people. And have I had people approach me who I know will be like, wow, I didn't know this. I want to know more. But then they're still posting hateful stuff on social media. Yes. And let me just put there, God's still working on my heart with that. Okay. But honestly, I just want y'all, whenever you're thinking about Dr. King and you're thinking about the I have a dream speech and you're visualizing who he was as a person don't forget those last five years almost five years of dr king's life don't forget all the words that he said don't just listen to what sounded pretty and what sounded nice and what many conservative people are willing to quote what many liberal people are willing to quote to fit their narrative no pay attention to everything that dr king said and really connect the dots to how it relates to our country today because it is so necessary like stop stop shaming his legacy like he had a radical he was a radical man like dr king was radical in in his politics he was angry about injustice and he became militant with his tactics i do know that not everyone knows how to approach social issues and how 
to do their part in this current um, strive towards racial equity and things like that. I get that. I'm not saying that everyone knows everything because everyone does not, okay? Even I'm learning still how to communicate effectively with people in order to not say something to make them run away whenever I know they need to hear what I'm saying. But it is also time for people to stop doing the bare minimum. And I'm going to always continue to say this. I know I've said this many times already, but stop doing the bare minimum and making excuses. And I pray about what to say and what to do. And I pray and I ask God to give me the strength to help me get through these things and to guide my tongue. Absolutely, I do. But do you want to know something else? You want to know someone else that people try to romanticize and they try not to give their radical um, identity, like basically what it's due? Jesus. Okay, Jesus was a radical. And Jesus has this image in the minds of millions of people of being this hold hands, don't ever say anything bad, everything will be okay, we all need to get along and never cause any issues. That is not the Jesus that I know. That is not the Jesus that I have a relationship with. That is not the Jesus that the gospel tells us about. Jesus was a radical, okay? Jesus, <laughs> I don't know what Bible some of y'all read, okay? But Jesus didn't walk around and say, oh, everyone thinks it's gonna be all right and let's all just overlook everything. No, God didn't say that either. You know, God said that we need to guard our hearts. God, God, yeah. I'm getting tongue twisted. God said that we need to have boundaries. And yes, yes, we are supposed to love each other. Yes, I know that. Yes, all lives matter whenever you look through, okay, whenever you look at it through the lens of God. Yes, okay, I got it. But black lives matter because we're out here dying at a much higher rate for no reason whatsoever, simply because we're breathing and we're black. So, you know, it's things like that that I always come back to with people. And I always just, you know, ask, y'all, I just I have a lot of thoughts right now. And I'm ranting. And I know that this is um, a little bit scattered. But I just need to get all this out. And I believe that it's our responsibility to not look at history in this box, okay? Don't look at it in a box. Yes, that's the way people have always taught you. Sure, I get it. But you you can read, okay? You can choose to expand your mind. You can choose uh, to see history from a different angle and from the correct lens. I was at a gathering um, a few nights ago and a question that was asked was how do we prepare for 2020 okay and in the last couple years I've seen more Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. quotes whenever anything arises um, that disrupts the status quo of um, white privilege and white supremacy and I think 
one important thing to do going into 2020 is, yes, sure, quote Dr. King, but you better be living the life too. And you better be having, like you better have the actions to back up the words that you're saying. Because if you're going to look at all of who a person was, then look at all of who the person was. Because I'll quote Dr. King all day long. Absolutely, I will. But I also understand who he was and I understand his radical legacy. And more people need to understand that. There is a fierce urgency of now in our country. The same urgency of now that Dr. King mentions in his I Have a Dream speech. So I just ask that going forward, you see Dr. King for all of who he really was. You know, don't put him in a box. Don't put Dr. King in this box to make you feel comfortable. Don't put him in this box to make you see him as just this nonviolent crusader. No, give, give him more credit than that. Give Dr. King the credit that he deserves. And if you're going to say let freedom ring, definitely have an in-depth understanding of the word freedom because that's a word that is multi-layered. I mean, lots of layers there. And if you're going to say let freedom ring, don't let your definition of freedom actually only be a reflection of what white supremacy culture wants it to be okay that's also very important i truly do hope this episode connected some dots for you and if it didn't connect dots i guess i should have said i hope this episode created dots and then connected them for you because <laughs> uh, that's ultimately what i want to do so as always, until next time.